0: this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter number two, Acts chapter number two, and if you're able to, let's stand out of respect for the word of God this morning, Acts chapter number two. If you're visiting with us today, uh, you should have received one of the uh, bulletins this morning on your way in, and inside there is a copy of the outline of the message, and that'll help you to follow along uh, with the message this morning. We are in uh, the fifth of this series on uh, making a difference, and our theme this year is choose, and I believe if we're going to make a difference, it's a choice to make a difference. And today we're going to talk about how relationships make a difference. Relationships. And it's something that I think a lot of times we don't think a lot about, but it's something that we need in our lives. I know this, I need you in my life. I need the relationships that God desires for me to have, but more importantly is, is it all begins with a relationship with the Lord. Amen. As I spent some time with my father, and as well as many others over the years, after God saved me, I tried to help him understand it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. You see, I can say this morning without any reservation, He is my personal Savior. I love the Psalms. There's so much I glean from the book of Psalms. But I love it when the psalmist writes, My Lord and my God. He's a personal God. And we need to know Him in a personal way. As well as these individuals here in Acts chapter number 2, now, to put you in a little bit of a context here this morning, <coughs> as uh, we study this passage, that God gave his word, which you hold in your hand today, that's not man's words, that's God's word, and understand that as God gave his word, that in the Old Testament, God spoke in a different way than he spoke in the New Testament, meaning in the Old Testament, God used prophets and prophecies in the new testament god gave his word through the apostles and other individuals and you hold in your hand a miraculous book the words of god as we we step from the old testament period to the new testament the bible tells us that the new testament that we're going to look at today was established because the bible says that where there is a new testament it there has to be the testator. In other words, uh, there had to be one who was willing to give his life. And the book of Hebrews identifies that that testator is the Lord Jesus himself. And the Bible says in Matthew 16 that Jesus came to establish the church. And as he established the church, we understand, as we study the word of God, that the church is not a building. Now today you came to Bible Baptist Church. It's a local assembly, a body of believers. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus established his church. He called out individuals that we call disciples or apostles. They're followers of Christ. If you are saved today, then you are a follower of Jesus. When we get to the first four books in our Bible in the New Testament, they're called the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. Those are four views of the life of Christ while he was on this earth. At the end of those four gospel records, Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And when you get to the book of Acts, which is where we are today, Jesus now has spent 40 days after his resurrection on the earth, before he ascended back to be with the Father. Today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's making intercession for us today. And while Jesus is there in heaven, the work that he began, he is left in our possession. We are to carry on the work that he began. We are a part of his church this is not my work, this is the Lord's work. And it's, the Bible tells us that it's marvelous in our eyes. When you think about where we're going to read in just a minute, that this is what we would call first century Christianity. Jesus has now ascended and he's left the work in the hands of those that walk with him, those that followed him. They were the ones upon the the church. Jesus built the church upon himself, not upon Peter, but they were the ones that began to spread the message of the gospel after Jesus left. We pick it up in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, and I want you to see this portion about relationships making a difference. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The thought this morning is that we must be different if we're going to make a difference. We must be different. God has never intended for his people, his children, to blend in with this world. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got to be obnoxious or we've got to be uh, some type of a rebel. That means that the Bible says that we are a peculiar people. There ought to be something distinctly different about us. And one of the things that helps us in our making a difference is those that we spend time with, those that we uh, associate ourselves with, the relationships that we have. And let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the word of God. Bless it now to our hearts. Use it this morning in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You see, the men and women of the first century were making a difference. The Bible describes in the book of Acts that these were they that turned the world upside down. Now that doesn't mean that they destroy things, they tore things up. That means that just like everywhere Jesus went, that Jesus made a difference in people's lives, that everywhere that they went because they had Jesus in their hearts, that the world was never the same as they traveled through it. I believe that the Bible has called us to be the salt and light in this world. God has left us here to be a preservative. Now, certainly we can't save anyone. We can't change anyone, but we serve a God that can change someone's lives, someone that can save them from their sins. See, the men and women who have moved the world have been the men and women whom the world could not move. They were common people, just like you and I, but they rallied their lives and themselves around. An uncommon cause, and they demonstrated an uncommon characteristics, and they made an amazing difference in their day. In order to make a difference, we must be working every day of our lives at building and maintaining healthy relationships in and outside of the body of Christ with the members of our church, as well as those in our community that we will come into contact with. Somebody said relationships are the building blocks of life. It's no fun to go through life alone. We all need relationships. Consider the difference that relationships make within the local assembly or the church. A lot of times people ask me, now you're a pastor of a church, you're a member of a church. Why is it so important that I should be a member of a church. What is it about church? Well, a few things that I thought of were that being a member of a church, that I have genuine friendships. I'm around people that I not only know, but I've learned to love. And I love them in spite of their things that they do and things that they don't do, things that I might like and things that I don't like. There's none of us perfect, but I love the genuineness of our friendships. When I think of a church, I think of voluntary accountability. A lot of times in my life, I need somebody to say, how are you doing this week? How's your walk with the Lord? And that's something on a voluntary basis. In other words, we keep ourselves accountable to each other so that, again, we are walking in the ways that God would have us to walk. When I think about a church, I think about relationships and how they enable us to share burdens. I mentioned my father this morning, and I've talked to others this morning or in weeks gone by and years gone by of certain burdens that we have in our own lives, and isn't it nice that we have someone that we can share those burdens with? I told my my mother, I said, when I was with her these past couple days, I said, She said, oh, pray for your father. And I said, I am. I will continue. And I said, I want you to know that our entire church is praying for him as well. That means so much to people. It means so much to me when I know that people are praying. And I know it means the world to you to be able to share your burdens. And that's one of the the benefits that makes a difference in our relationships when it comes to the body of Christ. I think about building a prayer network and Uh, how it places, uh, being a part of a church, places us under spiritual leadership in our lives. Look, every one of us are like that. The Bible uses the word sheep and how we are prone to wander. And in our lives, our nature is that we need to be led. And listen, I don't need this world to lead me. I need spiritual guidance in my life. I'm glad for the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God who will guide us in all truth and these relationships, they're so important. They provide benefits that we can find nowhere else in the world today. And if there ever was a group of people uh, that we have looked at, it's the the people this morning in Acts chapter number two, who figured out how important it was to quickly relate to one another, to, to get along. And these were Christians in the first century. They depended upon one another. They encouraged one another. They develop relationships, and those relationships that they developed truly made a difference in their lives. And so this morning from these few verses, I want to look at three characteristics that I believe need to be in a healthy relationship. And I want you to take note of these right from the pages of the Word of God this morning. The first one is that they had a steadfastness in character. The Bible says in verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Look, folks, it is true that we cannot have a relationship with someone who does not stick around. As members of his body, we're not only Connected to each other, but we are also to be committed to one another. When the Bible says that they 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 continued steadfastly, that means that they were committed to one another and they were committed to other things. Notice, first of all, that they, they had a commitment to God's word. I wonder this morning if you realize what you're holding in your hand. And I'm not talking about the pen. I'm talking about the book, the sacred book, that probably somewhere on it says the Holy Bible. There are people who have said to me, well, that's just man's book. I beg to differ. God has proven so many times in my life his word to be true, and every day I need to be committed to the word of God. These who had healthy relationships with each other, they were people that continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were committed to the word of God. They continued in it. My pastor used to always say that doctrine is the glue that holds the church together. We need the doctrine of the word of God in order to walk together. We must be in agreement, Amos said, with what we believe about God, what we believe about his son Look, we we must not only believe the right doctrine, but as they did in Acts 2, we must continue in it. They continued steadfastly. They were committed on a daily basis. Job said this, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I never did this to my children, but... I know over the years, I've had a few people who have said to me that they had a rule in their house when their children still lived there, and this was their rule, no Bible, no breakfast. I mean, they had that rule at their house. And the reason that they had that rule is just like Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Anybody this morning have breakfast? Just a few of you? Anybody hungry right now that has already had breakfast? You know why? Because physical food doesn't last. But God's word is forever. God's word will fill you. God's word will sustain you. We need to be committed to the word of God. If we're committed to God's word, then we'll have healthy relationships. Uh, Notice what the Lord said to Joshua when Joshua was about to assume the leadership of the entire nation of Israel. I mean, we're not talking a a crowd this size. We're talking over a million people back then. And here's what the Lord said to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I saw on the news a couple days ago as I was sitting there with my father, and they showed on the news that maybe you saw this story. But there was a couple, I forget what state it was in. They were in their house, and somehow the wife, it just dawned on her, and she looked over on this little bitty table... And they had some lottery tickets laying there. And she picked up a lottery ticket. And they had no idea, but for I think a couple months, they had won the lottery and didn't know it. She showed the ticket to her husband. They began to talk about it. Sure enough, they looked back into it. And they had won the lottery. And two weeks from that day that they looked at the ticket, if they would have waited two weeks longer, they wouldn't have received whatever the earnings were from that that ticket. Now, I'm not saying this so you'll go out and play the lottery. But I am saying to you that so many of those people, you read the stories, that have won the lotteries are worse after winning the lottery than they were before they ever won it. Because, folks, the only thing that's going to sustain you is to have a commitment to God's word in your life. That's where the healthy relationships come from. Listen, if you want to have good success, follow God's instructions to Joshua Meditate in it therein day and night, and then thy way shall be prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You see, they had healthy relationships because they had a commitment to the Word of God. But notice they also had a commitment to gather together. The Bible says in verse 42, again, they continued steadfastly, not only in the apostles' doctrine, but and in fellowship. I love the word fellowship there. When you look in your Bible, here's what you find is, in the Old Testament, it was important to God that God's people would come together and they would hear the Word of God. I love where you study books like the book of Nehemiah, where they stood all day. Aren't you glad we're not living in Nehemiah's day, where we stand all day and listen to the Word of God? Some of you are struggling with a half an hour to an hour, right? But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 12, gather the people together men and women and children yes even children the whole family and thy stranger that is within thy gates that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the lord your god and observe to do all the words of this law see in the old testament times god desired that there would be a commitment on the on the part of god's people to gather together. When you go to the New Testament in our our Bible, you find that that practice is still continued. But we see the importance now of gathering together on a regular basis. Look in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, as you see the day approaching, what day is it talking about? Hey, listen, the Lord's going to come back someday. It might be today. Some people are saying, boy, it can't be today because I just spent all day yesterday going Black Friday shopping. You know? But you know, there's been many of you, and you know this is true, where not in a bad way, in a good way, because God has allowed me to become an under-shepherd here at the church. God's called me to pastor this church. I take that very seriously. And so if, if, if maybe... Today, there's somebody that's not here in the church. I don't immediately start thinking bad things, like, boy, he skipped church today. But as a pastor, my heart is, I missed him. I missed her. I hope everything is okay. And many of you have gotten phone calls and texts and letters from me. And the spirit of those is, I missed you. Is everything okay? Is there something that I could pray for you or pray about? along with you. Listen, the Bible tells us that we should be committed to gathering together. And as we gather, we gather around the Word of God. And like those first century Christians, they were determined to be faithful when it comes to church and be faithful when it comes to Bible study. I I think about this dear couple. I, I hope they don't mind me saying something this morning, but Brother Smith and his wife sitting here on the second row this morning. And Brother Gabriel Smith, I mean, honestly, I know he hasn't lost track, but I know it's been probably over a year, I believe, since Brother Smith and his wife have been able to be here. We've been praying for this dear couple. He's been going through an amazing, an amazing ordeal with his health. And to see them walk in the doors this morning and to realize the importance of gathering together. Folks, we need to see in our lives how very important it is If we're going to have healthy relationships, we've got to be committed not only to God's word, we've got to be committed to gathering together, but thirdly, they were committed to godly conduct because the Bible says they also continued steadfastly in the fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Hey, listen, they got together and they prayed for one another and they must have been good Baptists because they were breaking bread together. listen my dad used to always say he says that's one thing about you baptists you like to eat i said we just try to be biblical people that's all we try to do fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers you know you think about it this is great friendships are those whose friends are strengthened what we want to do is strengthen one another in our spiritual walk the bible says iron sharpeneth iron so doth a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend but listen We've got to be careful in our lives to not let our relationships deteriorate. I don't know this morning if you've walked around and noticed maybe somebody that's not here today. I believe that's the way we should always be. So-and-so's not here. I miss them. My wife and I, every Sunday after the services, I'll say, I didn't see so-and-so today. This morning, I'm thinking about Brother Guy. Brother Guy's not here today. You should pray for Brother Guy. He's been struggling with his health, with some things going on in his life. I'll probably contact him today. How you doing, brother? Folks, listen, we've got to be committed. They continued steadfastly in their character. They were consistent. The Bible tells us to make sure that we don't let our relationships deteriorate because the Bible says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We've got to have a commitment to the word of God and a commitment to gather together. And we've got to have a commitment to godly conduct. They were steadfast in their character. But notice the second characteristic of healthy relationships was they had a sensitivity to others. A sensitivity. I think sometimes we become calloused a little bit in our lives. We've got to stay sensitive to others. A lot of times I see children come to church, and you can see it on their face and in their eyes that they've had a rough week, that they're hurting. Sometimes I'll tell Brother Kenny, I'll say these teenagers, they deal with so much today that you never dealt with in your day. We've got to have a sensitivity to others. Look what the Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 44. The Bible says, and all that believed were together, and they had all things common, and they sold their possessions. Notice... The personal pronoun, "there." They sold their possessions and goods and parted them. They, they gave out. The Bible says, look at it, to not just the select few, not just to their friends. The Bible says they gave it to all men as every man had need. I see a real sensitivity, how that, listen, these were people, remember I told you that Jesus had been on this earth, and that Jesus had gone, everywhere he went, he went about doing good, and doing good means to tell them about the love of God. But anytime we share the message of Christ, we live in a world that does not want to hear about God. They're hostile towards Christianity. Do you ever notice how, uh, listen, They want us to be tolerant of their sinful life. But when we try to share the truth about Christ with them, they become intolerant of us. That's the world we live in. These people that we're reading about in Acts chapter number 2, listen to me. They were the ones that had walked with Jesus. Remember when... Jesus was on trial and Peter was over a distance and he could see some of the stuff that was happening to Jesus. Remember the conversation that one lady, a damsel says, "Hey, you're one of his disciples." Remember what Peter did? He denied. At one time they even said to him, "Your speech betrayeth you. We know, we know you're one of his followers." That's these people we're reading about in Acts chapter number two. By the way, I hope that people that know you at work and at home and your family, I hope that they know that you are a Christian too, that you're a follower of Christ. But I'm sure you found out by now that it's not popular with everyone, right? One of the men told me, he says he spent Thanksgiving with some of his family, and he said uh, it it was pretty quite the ordeal. Because most of the family, I guess, didn't want anything to do with Christ. For them, it was all about church instead of Jesus. Do you know without Jesus, there is no church? And as you think about these people in Acts 2, these Christians, when they went public with their faith in Christ, when everybody knew that they were a follower of Jesus, they found themselves... Quickly in need. You say, why is that, Pastor? Probably because local merchants wouldn't sell them anything. Probably because their friends and some of their family turned their back on them. And that's why the Bible says every man had need. Some of them lost their livelihoods, they lost support of relatives, all because they chose to follow Jesus. I don't know if you've been there. I told. Uh, someone yesterday, I think it was, I said, yeah, I said, I remember what it was like after I got saved. My own family used to mock me. Even before God called me to preach, my own parents used to call me preacher boy. Before God called me to to preach, they called me that. And think about this, folks. The word Christian was actually originally a derogatory term that they tagged on Bible-believing Christians. Can I tell you, there's not a greater compliment than for somebody to call you a Christian. Amen. I remember we'd get together for Thanksgiving after, after the Lord saved me, and we'd have all our family around, and they'd all be drinking. They, they'd just be having a merry old time, and, uh, and it was time to eat, and then all of a sudden, they all got spiritual. And I remember after the, after the Lord saved me, my mother would always do this. All right, everybody be quiet. Dane's going to pray. Man, talk about the spotlight coming down on me, you know. And those first couple years, every time she'd do that, I mean, I would, I would almost get sick to my stomach waiting for that moment. But then I realized what a blessing it is to pray and thank God for his blessings in our lives. And I think about these people here that, in spite of all that they were going through, listen, listen to me this morning, they had a sensitivity. That's why they had such great relationships with others. That's why they were making a difference. Look, who could these people turn to but to other believers, to brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the family of God. And look, it's a great example for us this morning that, number one, look, at we are to be gracious towards others. I love when you read the writings of the Apostle Paul and Peter and even John that they use this phrase, grace, Uh, oftentimes grace be unto you. That's God's unmerited favor. Look, a lot of times in the old days, instead of people saying hi, believers would say grace to you, grace to you. They were saying God's favor in your life. How many of you want God's favor in your life? Listen, that's, that's what we're talking about here is that we need to be gracious. These godly men, they desired God's very best for everyone that they were connected to. The Bible says, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. I mean, we've got to look for opportunities to do good unto all people. Look at the Bible says, bear ye one another's burdens. Pastor, are you serious? I've got enough to worry about. I've got my own problems. Right? But the Bible tells us as Christians to bear one another's burdens, and when we do, we fulfill the law of Christ. As ye therefore have opportunity. Opportunity to what? To bear somebody else's burden? He says, let us... Do good unto how many men? All men. Especially unto those who are of the household of faith. That means we need to reach out to a brother or a sister. Folks, listen, if you're not looking past yourself, you're never going to be sensitive to the needs of others. Oftentimes, we are looking out for numero uno. That's who we're looking out for. It's all about me, myself, and I, my three favorite people. Now think about this this morning, Jesus expects gracious behavior from all of his children. Look what it says here in Luke 10, you familiar passage, a certain Samaritan, and by the way, remember Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were looked upon, looked down upon, they were detested by the nation of Israel. But the Bible says that a certain Jew, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion on him, went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Do you remember this was after the priest and after the Levite walked by on the other side? Religious people wouldn't do anything, wouldn't lift a finger. I mean, you think about Acts chapter 3. How many people probably went by the man that was lame from his birth And went right into the house of God, but Peter and John stopped and offered the man the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we've got to have a graciousness towards others, and when we are gracious, we'll make a difference. But not not only that, but notice secondly, not only are we to be gracious towards others, but we are to be generous towards others. Look what the Bible says again in verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods. That's, That's mine. I bought that. I paid for that. That's mine. Can I remind you that all good things come down from above? That everything we've had, we've received from the Lord? Even if you paid for it, God gave you the health to work that job. God gave you favor with that boss. God gave you the ability to earn that wage, whatever it may be. But listen, this verse tells us plainly how certain needs are to be met. We are commanded to meet the needs of those around us when we are able to do so. Look at Proverbs 3, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. That's what they did. They sold their possessions. Look, we who are blessed, and I certainly I believe this morning every one of us are blessed of God. We who are blessed are cautioned to always consider those around us. We have a responsibility, folks, to be generous towards others. Look at the Bible, says in 1 John 3, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Folks, you cannot say you love God and see somebody that has a need And just walk right on by. The Bible says in James 2, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? But folks, listen, when we're generous, we'll make a difference. When we're gracious, we'll make a difference. But notice thirdly, I saw that they were steadfast in their character. I saw that these people had healthy relationships because they were sensitive towards others. But notice, I see a third characteristic of healthy relationships, that they had a singleness of heart. Go back to Acts 2, look at verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. These people had hearts of sincerity, and there was a unity among them. They were not putting on a front, acting like they were polite. They really cared about other people. They really genuinely were concerned, and by the way, they were thrilled with the prospect of being around one another. Notice, first of all, that unity requires constant effort. If there's going to be a unity among us, there has to be a working at it. Unity does not happen accidentally. It requires a humility on our parts. It requires maybe sometimes thick skin or a willingness to forgive someone. A great amount of grace is required in order for God's people to go the distance with one another. Look what Warren Wiersbe said, to dwell above with the saints we love, won't that be glory? But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. I mean, sometimes it's difficult. But Paul encouraged the Christians that were there in Rome in his day to to work toward unity. He says, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the, the things wherewith." One may edify another or to build up or to strengthen. Look, our Lord knows, Jesus knows, because he lived on this earth for 33 half years, he was tempted in all points like as we are. Yet he was without sin. And Jesus knows that the daily grind of life can take its tolls on our relationships. Sometimes there's stress and strain. But in Romans 12, look at this, He gives us clear instructions on how we can can keep a constant effort of unity. Look at this. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in thine own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Well, you don't know what he did to me. The Bible says recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Notice God didn't say you can go around cutting people's ears off and throwing fire at people and all these other things. God says, look, I'll take care of it. Vengeance is mine. You leave that up to me. He says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger. Look at these words. Feed him. He says, if he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Now, don't go throwing coals on people's heads. The analogy here is, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. Boy, you talk about some great instructions. You live in those verses, and here's what you'll find is there will be unity. See, unity is not found as a result of being in relationship with perfect people, because there are no perfect people. Unity is found as a result of working at it, just like a marriage, Every day, if you're married, you have to work at there being unity in your home. Same thing in your relationships with those in your family and those out in the community and those that are in the church day in and day out, that we have to find unity among us with those that God has connected us with. So unity requires constant effort. But notice, secondly, unity requires and it results in an effective witness. Unity results... In an effective witness. Go back to verse 47. Look at this last verse. The Bible says that they were there with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, notice having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. Notice the favor was there. They were in unity together. The result of that unity was that they were gracious. They were generous. They were unified they had favor with those around them. Folks, let it be said of us that there would not come something between us, that we would work daily at having unity among us. And when there is unity among us as God's people, the result of that is going to be an effective witness. They had favor. The people around them, they took notice. I mean, How in the world are these people getting along? How in the world are these people selling what they had and they are distributing to others that had needs greater than their own? I mean, they they were looking at that like this is almost uncommon. It's unheard of. See, somebody said before people will accept the message of a Christian, they must first see the lives of a Christian. People are not going to listen to you until they see you living out the Christian life. Having a sensitivity, being generous. You see, they needed, people today, just like in this day, they need to see that your relationship with the Lord and with each other's is real, it's genuine. And that's what they were seeing. These people, they had difficulties, they had failed in their lives, they had to learn to forgive one another, but here's here's the whole thing is, they did. They did fail, yes, they did have problems in their own lives, but they did forgive each other. They did get past that. They didn't hold grudges. They didn't keep store, score. They got along. And listen, here's the best part. They seemed to like each other. Sometimes you get around people and it's like they put on this fake front. But they had a genuine relationship. They actually got along with one another. When these onlookers, these people saw this relationship They saw these healthy relationships. They said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I remember years ago when I met my wife and we were working together as teenagers. I just remember thinking to myself, whatever she's got, I want that. When people see us together, Treating each other right, encouraging one another. They're going to say, that's so different from what I see at home. That's so different from what I see at work. That's so different from what Hollywood paints the picture. Whatever that is, that's what I've been looking for in my life. It gives us an opportunity to witness for the Lord. Jesus said that it would be our love for one another that would actually confirm to this world that we are his followers. Look at these words Jesus said. By this, by your love for one another, he says, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So here they are in Acts chapter 2 in the face of this this widespread opposition and skepticism about uh, who the Lord was and who his disciples are. I see Peter encouraged uh, by these, by what's going on here to cultivate the same type of testimony. Listen to what he writes not too long after this. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you, I'm begging you. He says, as strangers and pilgrims in this world, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conversation, the word there means your lifestyle, the way you're living. He says, have it honest among the Gentiles, that Whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, he says that they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, they're watching your life. They're watching to see how you live. And one thing is for certain, we need each other. We need each other. We need healthy relationships. The Christian life cannot be lived in a vacuum. You can't live it, isolated from one another. God has created us to relate to one another. This this DNA of our lives is to be relational and, and to function interdependent one with another. Look at Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. I see the importance here how we can make a difference if we have the right relationships, and without those relationships, we're sunk. I was reading this week a true account of a social worker. Her name was Margaret, Margaret Sangster. She told her colleagues one day about a little boy that she saw. He was in an urban ghetto sitting on a set of stairs in an apartment complex, and she saw this little boy, and from, from a distance, she said he He appeared a little bit more than a bit of twisted human flesh. Upon getting closer and discovering this little boy, she realized that he had been in the past struck by an automobile several months before that, but his parents, who did not have the ability, they they neglected to get him proper medical attention. Although he wasn't a part of her caseload, Margaret took the boy to an orthopedic surgeon and learned through an involved series of operations that the child's body could be made normal again. She kind of cut through, maybe because of where her position was, she cut through some of the bureaucratic red tape and she even raised the funds needed and she set the whole process of cure in motion. Two years after the child had entered the hospital, he came into her office She saw him walk in and to her astonishment, she saw the boy walking without crutches. To demonstrate the completeness of his recovery, when he stepped into her her office, he actually did a cartwheel in her office. The two embraced one another, and then in time the little boy left. But some of the other social workers saw this whole thing take place in her office. No doubt she had shared the account of this little boy to some of them. And here's what Margaret Sangster said to herself when the little boy left. She said, if I never accomplish anything else in my life, at least here is one young man to whom I can point where I have made a real difference. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us, you and I, to make a difference, the kind of difference that Jesus made in our lives, the kind of difference that only Jesus can, because Jesus was steadfast in his commitment to us, so much so that he went to the cross. Jesus, certainly, as he walked on this earth, he had compassion. He was sensitive to others, and I see that Jesus had a singleness of heart, that the only thing on his mind when he was on this earth was you and I. Jesus loved us to the end. He went all the way to Calvary and gave his life so that you and I can have eternal life and that you and I can make a difference in this world. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna make a difference by myself. I wanna make a difference with those that I have a relationship with. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed, I wonder in your life, if there's been a time that you've asked the Lord to forgive you of your sin, to come into your heart, and to be your Savior. I wonder if there's been a time in your life when you've admitted that you do not have the Lord in your life, that you're not sure if this was your last day on this earth, that you would spend eternity with the Lord. God's given you an opportunity. It's called life. He's extended your life to this very moment, and He's brought you here today so that you could hear about having a relationship with Him. Because the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder this morning, how many of you this morning? with all surety, by an upraised hand, could say that I know the Lord is my Savior. There's been a time that I've trusted Him as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony that you know Christ as your Savior? Many hands up this morning. You can put your hands down. If you were not able to raise your hand, and this morning there's some doubt in your heart, You're not sure that heaven would be your home. Then why don't you settle that today? Because as I said earlier, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing Christ as your Savior. Jesus gave his life so that you can have eternal life. And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast every head's bowed every eye's closed i'm going to